Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast, A Light Unto My Path. I'm your host Howard Sides. Uh, today we're going to continue our uh, study of the book of Revelation and hopefully in con- conclusion of chapter 13. We've been in chapter 13 for, uh, this will be the seventh episode, alright. So, uh, you know, I warned you at the beginning it was a big one, so it is. It's got a lot of information in it, so <clears throat> hopefully we'll finish it up today and and again in uh, review uh, we're covering the final point here uh, of this second half of the chapter verse 11 through 18 which talks about the false prophet and here verses 13 through 18 is his deadly approach uh, it first of all it blinds mankind and then second it binds mankind binds mankind verses 16 through 18. Uh, and how does he do this? First of all, he does this very cleverly in verse 16. We talked about that in the last podcast alone. Uh, today we're going to talk about, uh, he also does it very completely. <clears throat> and he does this very completely uh, in two ways. First, uh, the sweeping extent of his scheme. And then secondly, uh, the single exception to his uh, success. So the first part, the sweeping extent of his scheme in verse 17, and then the single exception to his success in verse 18. So uh, let's read our passage here and just get right into it. All right, Revelation chapter 13. Uh, let's just read verse 16 with it. We'll start in verse 16. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. All right, so verse 17, uh, the sweeping extent of his scheme. The first phrase there, and that no man might buy or sell. Uh, Again, this is a continuation of what it's talking about in verse 16 with this mark. Now, this mark will be, first of all, universal, where it says that no man might buy or sell. It's it's going to be worldwide. Everyone everywhere everywhere will have to have it. And verse 16 uses the term causeth. Um, It's going to be forced on people. Not everybody's going to want this mark. Not everybody walking around has a tattoo. It does seem a pretty popular thing in this day and age, but this mark will be forced on everyone, buying and selling. Uh, Second of all, this mark will be economical. It will be necessary to buy food, to buy clothes, to buy gas, etc. And it could be used to control the economy through an allotment system or a rationing system. Uh, Now, you have to understand... Uh, from what we already covered earlier in this book of Revelation, uh, the massive amount of destruction uh, of fields, of greenery, of food, uh, it's going to have an effect on the market economy uh, and resources available. And so there's going to have to be some system of rationing uh, because stuff's going to run out. So, uh Economically, people will not be able to buy, sell, or even trade without this mark. Uh, the next phrase, save he that had the mark of, uh, 
save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, does the Bible tell us what this mark will be specifically? Now, initially, this reads like there are three suggestions. Uh, a mark, uh, the name of the beast, or the number of his name. However, the first phrase, he that had the mark, tells us what? The actual mark. The next two phrases describe in detail what the mark consists of, being the name of the beast or in other words, the number of his name. It would be written as he that had the mark, which is either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, Charles Lee Feinberg, in his book, A Commentary on Revelation, the grand finale, says, and I quote, It is one thing to suffer social ostracism or political deprivation or religious persecution, but to link idolatrous worship with economic deprivation is a master stroke of Satan. Boycott is a potent use of force. In order to obtain the elements for livelihood, it will be necessary to be branded in a visible place. All right, so that's verse 17. Now, verse 18, the single exception to his success. <clears throat> the single exception to his success. First, we'll see uh, those who are forewarned. Those who are forewarned. And it starts with the phrase, well, not a phrase, it's a sentence. Here is wisdom. Here is wisdom. Now, this phrase is a reference to the closing words of Daniel in chapter 12. Verse 1 through 4 says, uh, And at that time, what time is it talking about? It's talking about the Great Tribulation, the last three and a half years. Shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people? Who is the children of thy people? That's Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was, since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. Now what this, they that, uh, they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, is talking about a great evangelism that leads the great multitude to salvation during the great tribulation. And, and that's referring to those that were sealed. Why did God seal them? Not just to protect them, to let them live. He had a mission for them. They had a job to do. And they are going to go out and, and witness to people. And there are going to be those who, who uh, believe. Why else would you need this mark? Why else would you threaten with death? Uh, and all of that. Uh, there's got to be some kind of a resistance uh, in this time. <clears throat> okay, verse 3 here in Daniel goes on. It says, And they, and this the, the they here is the 144,000 Jews that are sealed, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So that tells us how successful they are. Verse 4. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end, 
Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Notice that phrase says, knowledge shall be increased. Not wisdom, but knowledge. And I'll tell you what, I'll, there's a perfect example of that today. Everybody's got knowledge, but nobody's got wisdom. And I think back to um, a program that, <clears throat> I think it was initiated, I, it may have been talked about before that, but this No Child Left Behind program, initiated by President Bush. Um, it was a good idea. It had a good concept behind it. Give everybody the opportunity to go to school, to go to college, uh, have an opportunity to get a great career, uh, and make something of yourself. That, that, I mean, that really, that sounds great, doesn't it? But there are after effects to that. And, and I'm not being critical of it. Um, some people have taken advantage of that and have really done very well. But there's an adverse effect to that. Not everybody who wants to be a doctor should be a doctor. Not everybody who wants to be a police officer can be a police officer. Not everybody who wants to be a dentist can be a dentist. And not everybody who wants to be a millionaire can be a millionaire, at least successfully. Um, look at the lottery. Uh, many people have won millions. What have they done with that money? How has it affected them? Has it helped them or has it hurt them? Where are they years afterwards? Now, that's a whole different thought. I'm, I'm talking about this no child left behind. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm not being critical. I'm being real. I, I mean, really, let's think about it. Some people are fit out to be uh, gardeners. Some people are fit out to be garbage men. Some people are fit out to just be laborers. Some people uh, drive trucks. Uh, and I'm not being uh, downgrading when I mention any of There are people in those fields who are perfectly happy. They're content because they're doing what they want to do. Many of us, we do. We have goals in life. That we, hey, we want, I'm going to do this. And sometimes we don't, don't achieve them. And, and that's not just because of opportunity, uh, sometimes it is um, the limit of our abilities. But, but what we're running into today, and, and I've seen this personally within my own family, uh, when you use a program like No Child Left Behind, and just anybody can go out and be a doctor, what that is saying is uh, we put all these level of tests out there for a reason. It's to test not only your knowledge, it's to test your wisdom. It's also to test your ability to do what's required of the task to do it right. The no child left behind basically bypasses the wisdom factor and pumps the individual full of the knowledge and turns them loose in the world. And that's why when you go to the doctor, uh, you get a prescription that might end up killing you because it doesn't match or it, they didn't uh, were not wise enough to go, hey, this drug actually counter affects this drug. And so if you're taking a pill for high blood pressure and you go in and take a pill for or they prescribe you a pill for some other element that that counteracts your high blood pressure pill, uh, that's dangerous. 
how many of you have gone to the doctor, um, even before all this coronavirus mess started, uh, have gone to the doctor and said, Doc, man, there's something wrong. And they go, uh, we can't find anything wrong with you. What? I know there's something. I know there's cases where there's got to be some extensive studying. Okay. But thank your local insurance companies and, and the federal government for putting a cap on what your doctor is able to do for you to find what's actually wrong. Uh, <clears throat> that, that's why we've got so many people stuck on opioids. Uh, because these doctors, uh, and, and, and listen, I'm not knocking the medical field or anything, okay? I'm saying there are people in the medical field uh, that shouldn't be. There, there are people in other fields, the, the law field, that, that shouldn't be. There are people in government, oh, you know this one, that shouldn't be. <laughs> that goes without saying. And it's from this No Child Left Behind program. There were adverse effects from all of this. And most of these people are in prominent positions that now they have power and they have this knowledge, but they don't have wisdom that they're implementing laws that are affecting us in adverse ways. All right, so back to this uh, here in Daniel chapter 12. Now, verse 1 ends with the phrase written in the book. Written in the book. What book? And what's it talking about? And I'll read the phrase again. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. What book? It's referring to the end of Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. All right, so that brings up the question, all right, will all Israel be saved? Zechariah 13, 9 says, and I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say it is my people and they shall say the Lord is my God. So the answer to that question is no. Actually, two-thirds of Israel are going to be lost. Right here it says, I will bring the third part through the fire. Only one-third. That's pretty specific for a number. <clears throat> now, verse 2 here. Again, we're referring to Daniel chapter 12. Uh, it's talking about two rev uh, resurrections in Revelation chapter 20. First of all, verse 4, uh, the trip... Yeah, yeah, the tribulation saved. In other words, the ones that are saved during the tribulation period. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. That's a specifically targeted statement to those who will suffer through the great tribulation. And then there's also another resurrection of all the unsaved, the living and dead, since the beginning of time. And that's talked about Revelation 20, verses 12 through 14. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Now again, back in Daniel chapter 12, verses 9 through 10, it says, And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. And basically what it's saying is that understanding will not take place until that time. All right. Now verse 10 goes on. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And that phrase, none of the wicked shall understand, uh, refers to uh, there in the New Testament, it says God's going to turn them over to a reprobate mind. They're just not going to understand. Uh, they they said no to God, no to God, no to God, no to God, till finally he just closes it off. Okay, that brings us to uh, another point here, uh, which is called the uh, Mashal Psalms. I hope I'm saying that, that the Maskell Psalms. <laughs> I may not be pronouncing it right. It's M-A-S-C-H-I-L. Uh, the Maskell Psalms, I guess. Uh, this word maskel means the wise or they that understand. And the books of Psalms that it's referring to is chapters 52 through 55. And in those chapters, uh, it describes uh, the wicked one, this Antichrist, uh, talks about his times and the suffering of those who oppose him. Now, Psalms 52 describes the judgment uh, on the deceitful. Uh, verses 3 through 6 says, Thou lovest evil more than good. And lying, rather than to speak righteousness, Selah. Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living, Selah. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. Psalms 53 describes a portrait of the godless. Uh, verses 1 through 6. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them is gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Who eat up my people as they eat bread? They have not called upon God. There were they in great fear, where no fear was. For God hath scattered the bones of him that encampeth against thee. Thou hast put them to shame, because God hath despised them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When God bringeth back the captivity of his people... Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. Psalms 54 describes a cry for deliverance. Verse 1 through 7. Save me, O God, by thy name, and judge me by thy strength. 
Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers are risen up against me, and oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them. Selah. Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. For he hath delivered me out of all trouble, and mine eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. Um, if I didn't mention it before, if you don't know, that word selah in there means think on these things. That, that's what it means when it uses that word selah. Okay, uh, and then Psalm 55 describes a complaint concerning false friends false friends. Um, 11 through 13 says, Wickedness is in the midst thereof. Deceit and guile depart not from her streets. For it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance. And that's talking about how people are going to turn on each other. And I'm telling you, I've got some stories from when I was in uh, Germany working at the embassy when the Berlin Wall fell and, and the documents from East Germany come right through my very office. I did not personally read them. Uh, but some of the people who did, I knew them. And oh, I'm telling you, some of the stories that they were reading in some of them documents, I mean, they had... That they had family spying on each other. Uh, I mean, it was a miserable, miserable and dark time for them people in East Germany. Uh, back to our point here, false friends. Uh, it goes on, verse 16, 17 says, As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Uh, that's a vo uh, the verse uh, 17 there uh, that we... Uh, there's a song out um, that we use down when we go down to Monroe. Those of you that know what I'm talking about, uh, for the preachers' fellowship, that that's where that verse, that's where that song comes from. Evening, morning, and at noon will I pray, pray and cry aloud, and He shall hear my voice, and He shall hear my voice. That that's where that comes from. There, Psalm 55:17. Uh, and then it goes on, verses 21 through 23. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. But thou, O God, shalt bring them down into the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in thee. So the Mashal songs des describe events as they will take place, but there's even more in the book of Psalms uh, referencing this whole thing. Psalms 32, uh, for instance, speaks of those who put their trust in the Lord and not only find forgiveness, but a hiding place, which it talks about uh, in chapter 12, wasn't it? What would I hide? Uh, yeah, <laughs> had to look at that a minute. Uh, Psalms 32, 6 and 7. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. 
Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. Think about that. Uh, Psalms 42 is written to comfort those who've been cast out of the sanctuary and in such distress that they can only look to a future day in which their heart's burdens will be sufficiently lifted so as to allow them to praise their God. And listen, with this coronavirus thing, um, this verse could be, uh, or these verses could be of help today. Not so much that we're cast out of the sanctuary, but um, uh, with the sickness, we can't gather like we want to. Uh, we can't have some of the functions that we normally would have. Uh, so it kind of feels like, you know, we're separated from the sanctuary where we know we gain uh, help and comfort among our family and our friends. Uh, Psalms 42, verses 9 through 11, it says, I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. And also, uh, Psalm 74, God's people cry for help. Verse 9 through 11, we see not our signs. There is no more any prophet, neither is there among us any that knoweth how long. O God, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? Why withdrawest thou thy hand, even thy right hand? Pluck it out of thy bosom. <laughs> and th th that kind of reminds me there in, in the first part of Revelation when it's talking about those saints were saying, Lord, how long before you pass judgment? How long before the vengeance comes forth? <clears throat> uh, Psalm 78 has a couple of different passages uh, about the wanderings of the people from their God. I'm not going to take the time to read it just because my voice is going out. Uh, but the references are verses 5 through 7. Then again in verses 34 through 42. Uh, then later in verses 56 through 72. Also, Psalms 88 describes the condition of a people who have broken the law of the Lord, but hope follows in Psalms 89, which remembers the sure mercies of David. Psalms 88 verses 4 through 7. And then in Psalms 89, verses 13 through 18. Then Psalms 142 tells us of a man specially chosen by God who is being persecuted. He is driven to a place of hiding by an evil king. 142, verses 4 through 7. Uh, Psalms 44 describes a man who remembers the way God drove the enemies of Israel out of the land, but now sees the nation in the hands of wicked men. The Holy Land is turned to a place of dragons, and the people are being slaughtered. But he tells the Lord that those with him have not forsaken God or his covenant, nor have they participated in idolatry. That's Psalms 44, verses 17 through 22. And then uh, the last point uh, in Psalms, Psalms 45. We are told a different story, one far from trouble and strife, when a king is being wed to his beloved bride. That's Psalms 45, verses 14 through 17. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, the first point there in verse 18, we see those who are forewarned. 
And then this next phrase, we're going to look at those who are forearmed. Forearmed. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. So, uh, I'm sure you're thinking it, but there is the question. Uh, why is there a number of the beast and not just simply the name? In ancient times, the people used numbers as representations for letters. Uh, this was called gematria in Hebrew and geometria in Greek, and it's where our English word geometry comes from. Uh, in our modern-day English, this would translate such as uh, number one represents the letter A, number two represents the letter B, three for C, four for D, five for E, etc., etc. Now, a charming and romantic way this was used was recorded on a wall of Pompeii when a lover wrote, I love her whose number is 545. <laughs> this way he identified and concealed his loved one at the same time. <laughs> now, of course, if anybody knew the gematria uh, uh, of the time, then they would kind of decipher who he was talking about. But, of course, it was a code. So there you go. But still, uh, gematria is not a means by which the name is to be discovered but it will be a test and a proof by which the name may be identified and verified after the person is revealed. So if anybody's running around trying to find out, oh, who's the number 666? Who's the number 666? You're not going to know. You will not know until that time. Listen, uh, read that again. Gematria is not a means by which the name is to be discovered, but it will be a test and a proof by which the name may be identified and verified after the person is revealed. So it's only after the person is revealed are you going to know what that number means. Uh, what is significant about the number 6 or the number 666? Now 6 is the symbolic number of man and imperfection. Uh, John MacArthur says in his commentary, the number 6 falls one short of God's perfect number 7 and thus represents human imperfection. The Antichrist, the most powerful human in the world, uh, the, the most powerful human the world will ever know, will still be just a man, that is, a six. The ultimate in human and demonic power is a six, not perfect, as God is. The threefold repetition of the number is intended to reiterate and underscore man's identity. When Antichrist is finally revealed, there will be some way to identify him with this basic number of a man, or his name will have the numerical equivalent of 666. In many languages, including Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, letters have numeric equivalents. Because this text reveals very little about the, num the meaning of 666, it is unwise to speculate beyond what is said. And that should be taken literally because so many people out there jump all over that number. Now, uh, Andrew Telford in his commentary says this, and I quote, here is a trinity of sixes. Here is a trinity of completeness. Number six is man's number. Number seven is the number of perfection. Number three, the number of completeness. So here is the completeness of man, sin in its maturity. He is complete in the sixth dip dispensation, which is the tribulation period. 
The seventh dispensation is his kingdom perfection. Here is the completed picture of the attempts of man as he yields to his leader in sin, politically, socially, morally, commercially, and religiously, he has it under his control. He has sealed them for hell, the unpardonable sin, no forgiveness. Now, the great secret symbol consisted of the three letters, S, S, S. Uh, I missed a spot. Hold on, let me back up. <laughs> All right. John Phillips, in his commentary, yeah, and I quote, it has been claimed that the symbol of the ancient mysteries was SSS or 666. There we go. That makes it a little clear. So, the great secret symbol consisted of the three letters SSS because the letter S in the Greek alphabet was the symbol of the figure 6. Alpha being 1, beta 2, gamma 3, delta 4, epsilon 5. But when we came to 6, an altogether different letter was introduced. Not the next letter, which was Zeta, but a different letter, a peculiar form of S called stigma. Now, the word stigma means a mark, but more specifically, a mark made by a brand as burnt upon slaves, cattle, or soldiers by their owners or masters or on devotees who thus branded themselves as belonging to their gods. It is from the Greek word uh, stizo, S-T-I-Z-O, which means to prick or brand with a hot iron. Hence, it came to be used of scars or wound prints, and it is thus used by Paul of his scars when he regarded as the tokens of his sufferings the marks which he bore on his body for the sake of his Lord and Master and marking him as belonging to the one who had bought him in Galatians 6.17. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks, stigma, of the Lord Jesus. Now, why this letter stigma was used with the number six is unknown, except that both are intimately connected with the ancient Egyptian mysteries. The three letters, SSS, were the symbol of Isis, which is thus connected with 666. Now, when you get into 666 and numerology, uh, which is a form of geometria, I guess you'd say, uh, there's this. The number 666 has been used to identify multiple characters in history, um, such as the Pope, John Knox, Martin Luther, Emperor Nero, and many others. A good example was produced during World War II. Let A equal 100, B equal 101, and C equal 102. Then you end up with this. The letter H would equal 107. I would equal 108. T would equal 119. L equals 111. E equals 104. And R equals 117. So the sum totals of the letters Hitler equals 666. And I'm sure that was thrown out there quite a few times. Here's another example. The number 666 pertaining to the false prophet. The Pope wears uh, what is called a tiara or a crown, bearing his official title, the Vicar of Christ. 
You can look that up. It's, it's for real. The vicar of Christ. The word vicar means administrator or deputy. In Latin, this term or phrase, yeah, maybe I should say phrase. I'll have to fix that. In Latin, this phrase is spelled as vicarious, or, or it, yeah, I'm spelling it, but I'm saying it, vicarious fili day. That's V-I-C-A-R-I-V-S-F-I-L-I-I-D-E-I. Now, when you use Roman numerals, uh, you put it all out. Vicarious equals 112. Fili equals 53. And day equals 501. 112 plus 53 plus 501 equals 666. And I even remember back in the days when the uh, Iron Curtain was coming down. You remember when the Russians or the Soviet Union uh, had the leader called Mikhail Gorbachev? You ever look at a picture of him and he had that birthmark on his face? Man, people ate that. Oh, that's the mark of the beast. That's the mark that he's got to be the Antichrist. <laughs> people are going to glue things together that just shouldn't be. I, they, gorilla glue is nothing new. I mean, people have been trying to stick things together for years. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> now, the use of 6 and 666 in the Bible, according to numbers in Scripture, a Supernatural Design and Spiritual Significance by E.W. Bullinger in 1837-1913. and uh, The duration of the old Assyrian Empire was 666 years before Babylon conquered it. Jerusalem was trodden down by the Roman Empire exactly 666 years from the Battle of Actium in B.C. 31 to the Saracen Conquest in A.D. 636. The talents of gold brought to Solomon in a year were 666. That's 1 Kings 10, 14. But this perfection of money power was only vanity and vexation of spirit, as he said in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 8 and 11. Compare that to 1 Timothy uh, 6 and 10. <laughs> All right. There are three men which stand out in Scripture as the avowed enemies of God and his people. Each is branded with this number six to ensure we may not miss their significance. The first one is Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, 4-7. His height was six cubits. He had six pieces of armor. And his spearhead weighed 600 shekels. Uh, number two, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, well, his golden image, Daniel chapter three and verse one. The image was 60 cubits high. It was six cubits broad. And it was worshiped when six musical instruments were played. Uh, another individual, the Antichrist, of course, we know is associated with the number 666 and all that. Now, in Goliath, we have one six connected with the pride of fleshly might. In Nebuchadnezzar's image, we have two sixes connected with the pride of absolute dominion. Uh, in Antichrist, we have three sixes connected with the pride of satanic guidance. Now, Charles Lee Feinberg, in a commentary on Revelation, the grand finale, 
He says, and I quote, It is almost impossible to list the number of suggestions for 666, all the way from Nero in ancient Rome to persons in this day. Probably the most that can be gleaned is that since 7 is the biblical number of completion, 6, which falls short of it, is man's failure at its worst. Man's worship of man is indeed spiritual insanity to the highest degree. End quote. As to the triple number 666, one figure, 6, is significant. Two figures, 666, six, or still more so, and three figures, 666, seems to denote the concentration or essence of the particular number. So you ask the question, will we, will we be able to identify the person 666 represents before the end of times? No, we won't. In fact, we are told three times in Daniel chapter 12 that this will be impossible, one for each six. Uh, Daniel 12 verse 4 says, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Uh, verse 8 and 9. And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. And then finally in verse 13, But go thou thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. Woo! All right, so that's the end of chapter 13, at least our study of chapter 13. And I hope you've enjoyed that. Um, there was quite a bit of uh, information there. And uh, I, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I certainly enjoyed reviewing it again after we went through it the first time. Uh, so next time we'll start chapter 14. After getting through that, we're getting we're getting through it. Slowly but surely, we're getting there. Uh, so I pray that you continue with me. I hope you, uh, again, I hope you're enjoying it. I know I keep saying that, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm just putting it out there so that it help you maybe to study it. Uh, maybe you can gain a little... Uh, insight, a little more historical background, and, and connect these dots uh, to understand what exactly is being said and why it's being said uh, at this time and in and, and, and referring to these things that um, maybe you don't understand. Uh, so once again, I ask you to uh, pray for me, pray for our church, pray for our country, pray for each other, and um, I thank you for joining me. I, I can't tell you enough. Just Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me on the next podcast, all right? Um, thank you for listening, and may God bless you.